0: It's Rico Daily. I'm Ronnie Mola. Across the country, there's a certain something in the air right now. (laughs) Well, pollen and something else. It's optimism. The pandemic turned the world of work totally upside down. And right now, more than two years later, there's actually a lot of positivity surrounding the future.
1: I mean, everybody's probably seen at least some of these headlines, right? That the future of work is awesome and here to stay.
0: That's our guest today, Vox's Emily Stewart. She's here to explain if the work revolution is, in fact, as revolutionary as it seems.
1: So wages are rising. People are getting paid more, especially people who make the least. We've seen all these stories about companies really scrambling for employees, having to give a lot of benefits to employees, having to give more pay to employees, really having to say, we want you to work for us. And that gives workers more bargaining power. And so we've seen stories about high-profile union efforts like Starbucks and Amazon. And overall, there are just all of these stories about remote work is here to stay. And there is all of this work-life balance. And remote work fixes everything. And everybody's doing it. So let me guess, you're going to pour some water on this, Emily. Uh, What's the reality? I think the story is a lot more complicated than we would think. I mean, for a lot of workers, the current state of work looks very much the same as it did two years ago. And for some people, or even a lot of people, even worse. One really perfect example here is that despite all of this buzz around high-profile union efforts last year, we actually saw union membership drop in 2021. Again, wages are going up. But they aren't going up as fast as inflation. And some of those wage increases are starting to slow down. And a lot of the changes in terms of bargaining power that we've seen could go away quite quickly if the economy sours. The fact of the matter is a lot of this talk of remote work kind of exaggerates how many people are actually able to work remotely. Most people still have to go to work in person. You and I.
0: Boltha spoke to a lot of these people, you know, people who have to show up, who can't be on their computers, who whose jobs necessarily require them to go to a physical location. And we want to talk to them about what the future of work or what the present
1: work looks like for them. You know, a lot of people are doing more work with less help. A lot of companies laid people off at the start of the pandemic and haven't brought them back or just kind of have a lot of uncertainty about how many workers they need or frankly cannot get workers. And so that translates to people having more work with less help. We talked to one woman who's a dishwasher at a Hilton out in California. And, you know, one of the things that she said was there used to be multiple people on my shift. Now it's just me. And and business has returned to sort of normal. Right. And business is bouncing back, getting back to normal. But I'm just one person. And and you see this, you know, as a consumer, too. You go to a restaurant and there are just fewer workers. They're stretched thinner. You know, a lot of people, their pay has gone up some maybe But it hasn't gone up a ton. They still are dealing with the same stuff that they were before the pandemic. Their boss doesn't quite get what they would really need for their job to be good. Or they're not getting the right tools for their job. Or they do need more people on a shift. Or I talked to one UPS worker who was saying they have really strict requirements for how many packages they're supposed to load and how fast they're supposed to move. And he just said, you know, what corporate doesn't understand is if I'm six feet tall and somebody else is five feet tall, I'm taking longer strides. I'm just maybe moving quicker or I'm more experienced and I'm moving quicker. And so there are all sorts of disconnects. Things were not great before the pandemic and they're just exactly the same.
0: Right. And you mentioned the pay thing and that gets at what the difference is between people's individual experiences versus the average. You know, maybe the BLS has seen wages go up, but a lot of people were like, really, your wages went up? Amazing.
1: Right. I mean, I talked to one woman who she worked at a nursing home whose pay had actually gone down during this because there were some cuts to Medicare and that translated to her paycheck. So I just think, you know, this bigger narrative about work is super different and workers have all of this power and everybody's working from home really overshadows a lot of what's happening to people on the ground and what's happening to people just in their day-to-day lives.
0: Right. And what's happening is that their jobs are exactly the same or in some cases even worse.
1: To be honest, I also think a lot of the remote work stuff is like this. Like ultimately my job's the same. I just do it from my couch rather than the office.
0: Which is awesome.
1: It's fine. <laughs> we talk about in the article
0: how like the pandemic was evidence that the government can do more for these people. So from a policy standpoint, what would improve life for people in these working class jobs in a meaningful way?
1: I mean, the list here is really endless. If we're talking about Low-wage jobs, obviously, one place to start is with a higher federal minimum wage. Uh, pay them more, right. <laughs> yes, to pay people more. Right now, companies are paying people more because they kind of have to to get people to work. But again, at some point, there's going to be a recession. At some point, workers aren't going to have as much power. And companies are going to be able to pay workers less, and they're going to take advantage of that situation. There was all of this discussion of a $15 minimum wage for a while at the federal level, and that we don't talk about anymore. Dead in Congress. Right. This federal discussion has really been stuck for so long, and it's important to remember that the federal minimum wage is $7.25.
0: Got it. So, you know, you could raise people's pay, but then there was also stuff like, you know, increased unemployment insurance and stuff like that during the pandemic?
1: I mean, this was a really big deal, I think. We saw increased weekly unemployment benefits when the pandemic hit of $600 a week. Then it, they went down to 300 with a bit of a lapse in between. We also saw the pool of people who could get unemployment insurance expand. So it was freelancers and contractors. And I think it's important to point out that really helped people. We want people in between jobs to be able to, A, stay afloat and pay their bills and, and not hurt the economy even more, because if people can't pay their bills, that's bad for everyone. We also want them to find better jobs or jobs that are sufficient for them. And And there was a lot of concern that all of this expanded unemployment insurance was going to keep people out of the workforce.
0: Right. They were worried that everyone's just going to be on the dole.
1: Right. And that didn't happen. Most of the evidence suggests that that wasn't the case. And so there is a world where you could see the government taking a look at unemployment insurance and saying, how do we fix this? What could this look like? Should we have minimum standards for states for benefits? Should we expand the pool of people who are eligible? Should we put in place some sort of automatic stabilizer so that way, next time there is a recession, and again, there will be one someday, better unemployment kicks in automatically and we don't have to see." Congress haggle about it, which we have for the past couple of years.
0: (laughs) You heard it here first. There will be a recession someday, according to Emily Stewart. Yes. Um, And there's other stuff, too, that could solidify these protections or make just workers' lives a little bit better, like unionizing, right?
1: Right. Unionizing, making it easier to unionize would make a difference. Um, There is legislation in Congress that could make that happen. Again, not really going anywhere. You could mandate paid leave. You could just strengthen protections on the job in terms of health and safety. There is a laundry list of things that could be done. We're just not doing them. And one expert I talked to about this, you know, she said, like, it's not a mystery. What policies might make life better for workers, but there's just not always a lot of momentum in Washington or sufficient momentum to get these things done.
0: So we have a lot of options, but we're just not doing them. Yes. Bummer.
1: I mean, (laughs) I think it's a bummer, but I do think, like, not to be such of a negative Nelly on this, which I tend to be, it was cool during the pandemic to see some of the things that the federal government was able to do. And obviously now there's a lot of haggling about, was it too much? Is this contributing to inflation and all of that kind of fun stuff? But I think the bigger picture here is, is when the government wants to, it can do big things that are meaningful in people's lives. And in their working lives, right.
0: And it could reach this whole group of people who who are sort of being left out of this future of work is great conversation
1: right. And again, paid leave not being mandated isn't just a thing for people who who have to work in person. Like that's also a problem for office workers. Everybody should care about this stuff,
0: Emily, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Pones from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Ronnie Mola. Thanks for listening.